Welcome everyone to Last Song Standing. I'm Cole Kushner. And I'm Charles Holmes. And in this second season of Last Song Standing, we're diving deep into one of the most mysterious artists of the generation, Frank Ocean. Cole and I are debating our way through his entire catalog in an effort to decide what's the greatest Frank Ocean song of all time. Last episode, we tackled Frank's singles and features and then revisited Frank's most mysterious project to date, Endless. And on today's episode, the sluggish, lazy, stupid, and unconcerned boys of music podcasting are tackling one of the most important albums of the 21st century, Blonde. Round your city, round the clock. Everybody needs you. I thought that I was dreaming when you said you loved me. All right. When we envisioned this season of Last Song Standing, this was the one where I'm just like, we do the whole season for this. I I think this is the most excited I've ever been to talk to you about anything, including Kendrick Lamar. Like, this is the one where I'm just like, no, we're doing it this episode. Yeah, I I have like butterflies in my stomach right now. I'm excited and nervous. Uh, I haven't been, I haven't felt this way to record a podcast in a long time. There's so much to get into. We've been texting each other. We've been trying to we've stay been our We've been pre-arguing. <laughs> yeah. Like we are chomping at the bit trying to get to this episode. I'm so glad we're, we've arrived at the moment. But before we get too far into it, let's just recap for the listeners what we've covered so far. Here's our lists going into this penultimate episode. Charles, your list is, your list is looking pretty good, dude. You got Pyramids from Channel Orange, Swim Good from Nostalgia Ultra. You got... Chanel as the single and at your best you are love from endless that is I gotta say man that's an unpeachable list of songs yeah right but there. it's also very basic like if you had to be like yeah Charles he loves the singles <laughs> that's very true very and then true. you you in classic cold fashion in classic you pivoted you had bad religion which is not not a bad choice at all then you have Novocaine biking and then you never would have guessed it Higgs well, to my credit, it's just not obvious on Endless. You got like, you got the standout shirt. You, you kind of cheated, got the standout <laughs> track. Higgs, beautiful song, but as we talked about last time, Endless is, is so hard to pull from. It's such a complete one kind of note project. It's hard to just pluck a song off of there. But now for those that have forgotten, Cole, let's get into it. Each episode of Last Song Standing covers one album where we are both forced to pick the best song off that album, a.k.a. The Last Song Standing. Then in our season finale next week, we'll have a Royal Rumble where we'll bring the songs we've chosen from each album and duke it out until we both can agree on what is the single greatest Frank Ocean song of all time. Yeah, so what we haven't told you guys yet, it, like we did last season, we're going to let the voters, the listeners have a vote and pick a song by democracy uh, on social media that will then be entered into the Royal Rumble next week. And so it's a song, obviously, that we didn't pick from our list, one that you guys feel like we missed and that should be in contention for Frank's best song of all time. You can do that on Twitter, or I guess it's called X now. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, at Dissect Podcast or on Instagram. I'm going to be putting polls on both platforms and then I'll do kind of a, I'll tally them all up. So go to Twitter and Instagram at Dissect Podcast. Vote for your favorite or best Frank Ocean song. You got to do that quick though. Um, you have to vote by the end of the day, August 23rd. Um, so because we were recording, we, we got to get your vote soon. So as soon as you listen to this episode, go vote. 
Um, I'm really looking forward to it because there's so many great songs that we just kind of have to leave off the lists, our lists. And, you know, last year it was this, the fan vote last year came in clutch because Sing About You ended up being a really important song in that last finale episode. If you had to guess, what song do you think that they're going to vote in? Dude, Pink Matter is getting a lot of chatter online already. All right. Everybody needs to relax. You shit it all over it. Yeah, I feel bad because here's the thing. We record these podcasts and then I'll start seeing people talk about what songs they like. And I'm like, did I shit on that last episode? <laughs> I th- I'm going to put my money on thinking about you. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be like, how could this not be on in the finals? Or, But honestly, if we're being real, it's probably going to be something we don't pick off Blonde. I, yeah, I think for sure it's going to be off Blonde. I can almost guarantee you thinking about you is going to receive like, it's going to be in the bottom tier. Like, I don't think it's going to get me. You're probably right. You all. know your audience way better than I do. You know what? <laughs> if neither of us pick it, if I have to, the TikTok teens might be like pink and white. Oh, don't spoil it. But anyway, yo, Cole, you, we got all the voting out of the way. Let's throw to a quick uh, ad break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about some facts about the album and some concepts and themes. Make sure you stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. Brake kits, LED lights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Ub. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. All right, we are back here to talk about Blonde, which was released on August 20th, 2016. It's the long-awaited follow-up to Channel Orange. It features production from Ocean, Malay, Omas Keith, Pharrell, John Bryan, among a lot of others. It only spawns one single, which is Nike's, and the album sells 276,000 album equivalent units in its first week. The project was met with near instant critical acclaim upon its arrival. Uh, Since 2016, the project has been regarded as one of the best albums of the 2010s. Rolling Stone ranked it at number 79 on the 500 greatest albums of all time list, and Pitchfork ranked Blonde number one on the 200 best albums of the 2010s list. Now, Blonde is a very, very heady, big project. So Cole, could you break down for the listeners thematically what Frank is trying to achieve on this project? Yeah, it's a lot. After Channel Orange, Frank suffered from writer's block for nearly a year, and it was only cured after speaking with a childhood friend uh, from New Orleans that had fell on tough times, and that inspired Frank to talk about the way he grew up more. And so kind of in contrast with Channel Orange, which is very story-centered, very fantasy-oriented, Frank said this about Blonde, quote, there's no fantasy on Blonde at all. It's all for better or worse autobiographical. It's my experience, the foundation, what's made me who I am. And so in this way, I think Blonde feels more like a coming-of-age story, but doesn't have like a traditional plot line. It's more like a kaleidoscopic mosaic of kind of his childhood and transition into adulthood. So 
Blonde is very fragmented. It's very unstructured. And this reflects the way that Frank actually perceives memories. He said, quote, how we experience memory sometimes, it's not linear. We're not telling the stories to ourselves. We know the story. We're just seeing it in flashes overlaid. And then probably, you know, throughout Blonde, the most prominent theme that keeps coming up over and over, aside from kind of nostalgia, is this idea of duality. Um, we see this reflected with things like childhood versus adulthood, day versus night, and masculine versus feminine energies. Um, and I think this is really like the crux of the album because Frank is like he's he's done nostalgia before on both projects, but you know the the kind of new breakthrough of this album is this realization that two opposing forces could be true simultaneously, and this allows him to look back on memories of loss and heartbreak but remember them fondly and with reverence. By doing this, he really liberates himself from any resentment or grief attached to those memories and allows him to color all of his memories blonde. So I have something to reveal to you, Cole. That was beautiful. This album, when I first heard it, I hated it. Really? And like, this is coming from, this is one of my favorite albums now. But when I first, like my first gut reaction to this album was turn this shit off. Wow. Because... You have to remember, we had been waiting so long and Endless drops, right? So I stay up all night to watch Endless, which is a very meandering project. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. That is just like, that is one of the, I think it's purposefully like one, it's called Endless. Right. But we didn't have an album really. If I wanted to listen to it, I had to be on Apple and watch this whole stream. So by the time Blonde comes out, there's the excitement that I'm like, oh, Endless wasn't the real project. And then you listen to Blonde and it's, it was such a departure. Hearing Nikes for the first time, Nikes doesn't sound like anything else in Frank's discography. I almost thought it was annoying. Mm. And I was waiting. I was just like, what is this album about? Especially because he only does one interview around this time. He does yeah. one with uh, John Caramonica at the Times. So if you really wanted to understand this project... You had to do a rare thing where you just had to sit with it, right. where you're literally just like, what is he trying to say? There are these competing voices. He's pitching his voice up and down. Songs are starting and stopping. There's random people coming in to give you like interludes that seem like they don't connect to anything. And it, I think it took me about a week or two to really mm. be like, all right, let me just like listen to this again to get it. Because that first listen was so jarring. Because this does not sound like Channel Orange in the slightest. Yeah, I mean, well, you can say that about most great albums, you know, the big, or especially the revolutionary innovative album, which Blonde is for sure that. Um, it's uncomfortable the first time you hear it. Yeah. It's because if you, it's just like hearing anything foreign for the first time, you just, the gut reaction is like, this doesn't fit, sound familiar. And just he, human nature a lot of times is just, you know, if it's foreign, we're just going to, immediately kind of resist it. But I think that was probably a lot of it, people's experience. I think a lot of people were out on the album early because they weren't willing it to give it that second, third, fourth listen. But this is a project that demands your attention. It's not just something you kind of throw on. You know, I don't actually listen to Blonde all that often because it's such an experience that it's just not something I want to go through all the time. Because when I listen, I really want to listen to it. 
But yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking back to my first experience of it. I stupidly, okay, so this is like me emerge. This is exactly the time me emerging out of my college black hole of classical music and like starting to figure out what was going on in the real world. Blonde to Pimp a Butterfly, all these 2015 albums that come out during this time are the ones that kind of reintroduced me to popular music at this time. And so I've heard Frank Ocean, I'd heard the hype around this album. I pushed play, I remember it vividly. I pushed play on my fucking iPhone of all places. I didn't even put it <laughs> on the stereo. It's like so stupid. I was like, I heard this high pitched voice. I was like, is this all the hype? This is all what it's about. Um, and then of course I like actually gave it some good listens and I just absolutely fell in love. Is that what is wild about Blonde? Is that he starts it with Nikes? Like Nikes is such a jarring way to be like, Hey guys, here's my new album. <laughs> but think about waiting years to hear yeah. Frank, and the first thing you hear from him on his like proper, not endless, on his proper software album is Nikes. You're just like, what the fuck is going on? Are we okay, guys? <laughs> and what's hilarious about this project is the vibes are of it are so intense. My girlfriend at various points was just like, Why are you listening to such depressing music? Like, mm. stop. I think we are talking around something that we have kind of been chatting about, which is, Cole, I, I take it that both you and I think that this is easily Frank's best album, Barda. It's not even a question to me. And I'm, I mean, I'm ready to put it in the conversation of like Sgt. Pepper, Kid A, Pet Sounds, like revolutionary albums, generation defining albums. I'm like ready for that conversation. Oh, that's especially. already done. That's already done for me. It, it really? like, That's not... I have already put it there. Like, it is there in terms of, like, the Pantheon, okay? I think it is... I was at Rolling Stone when we redid our 500 list. Blonde at number 79. I was just like, this is better than a lot of the actual albums you put in the top 25. That's no longer here or there. But <laughs> I wanted to ask you, why do you think so many people don't regard Blonde as Frank's best album? And what I mean by that, if you're a Frank fan, Stan, or you are a music critic... That is conventional wisdom that this is the best. But if you are a regular listener of music or just like a normie, most people either loathe this album or don't even know it exists or ignore it. What do you think about it? Like, do you, am I tripping or is that something that you've also seen where a lot of people are always like, what's the hype with this album? Yeah. I mean, I, I think of the infamous Joe Budden quote where he was still, I think, on that complex show with academics. And Academics, surprisingly, was vouching for Blonde. And then Joe Budden said, oh, you mean the project with no drums? It was trash. You know, like he was just out because there was no <laughs> drums, which I actually do think is a lot. There is barely any drums on this record. You know, I, in the beginning, we get a little bit, but I think some of the strongest songs have no drums. I mean, some of the strongest songs on this album barely have any instruments at all. Yeah. Or like they're very muted. It is like a guitar melody or it is a simple piano melody and that is it which is also i think very very jarring to a modern listener being like where are the drums why am i only hearing this very quiet melody and also if we're going to be honest the way he is building to your point this kaleidoscopic impressionistic album unless you really surrender yourself to it i think a a normal listener could be very put off by it. Well, I mean, th just think about this exercise. Sing a hook on this record. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, I like, you know what I mean? Like that I can sing? No, no I mean, that nothing comes to mind, though. It's not obvious what comes to mind. If I told you to do that with Channel Orange, you would have five in a row. You could just easily bounce. Off. You know what I mean? Like, 
it takes you a while to actually think of a memorable, you know, the first one I think of is Ivy's, which is not even really a hook. I thought, you know, you were dreaming when I said, you said you loved that me. That was the one I thought about too. And I was just like, it, that's it's not it, really a hook. Yeah. But it's, it does not hit your brain like a hook. Yeah. Which is, this is we're going to talk about this a lot. Cause also I think the thing that when you were even reading your, your themes of this album, Frank Ocean is breaking so many rules. And what I mean by that is we're taught in art. We're just like, yo, what's the elevator pitch for this album? If somebody's like, what's the elevator pitch for the college dropout? It is all there in the title. I'm like, this is about a Chicago rapper rapping about his, it's a loose concept album about him dropping out of college. You you just get it. You're like, what's the elevator pitch for Blonde? It'd be like, well, it's kind of an autobiographical story, but it's non-linear. And also it's about duality, but it's also <laughs> about like aging and day and modern day and all this stuff. You're just like, no, th- no, thank you. I'm good. That like, yeah. that is also the thing where if you describe blonde, it sounds way less inventive and revolutionary than if you just listen to it and you're just like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's very cinematic. It's a I think in the even the dissect podcast, I said it's the world you step into. Yes. Yeah, it's not chasing hits at all. It's not song structures are totally reinvented with every single song. It seems like every song is its own complete idea. He doesn't take any musical cliche for granted, meaning he's not going to just rely on verse, chorus, verse, chorus as the structure. It's like he's reinventing every aspect of the song. And again, it's like we talked about on Channel Orange him trying to channel emotions. And I think he's doing the same thing on Blonde. He's just taking a different approach and maybe even a more extreme approach where everything is about evoking a feeling. It's not about adhering to song structures or these musical cliches. It's how am I best going to express the feeling of this song and then him tinkering and tinkering and tinkering with instrumentation, structure, like everything affects until that feeling is exactly how he wants it expressed and i think that it's like yeah you can't really sing a hook off blonde but you ask someone how it makes them feel oh i can remember the feelings that this album gives me in a way that is hard for a lot of albums where i'm like i remember the places and the smells and like the sounds vividly which i think is what frank wants yeah i mean i mean is there a song on here that just like give me the song Uh, there's one song that makes me cry literally every time i hear it is it, do you have a song like that on here? Oh, I do. Let's let's do the crying corner it? before okay. we go to our next segment. <laughs> You're, can you guess it? Because it is probably one of the least listened to songs. It's my favorite. It, I'm not going to pick it. I don't think either of us are going to pick it. But it's like, like it is my favorite song off this. I cry to it, and I'm just like, yeah. What do you think it is? I don't think you're going to guess it. I might say, is it Godspeed? It is not Godspeed. I like Godspeed, but it's not Godspeed. Okay, what is it? All right. I really, really love Good Guy. It's a good guy, he hooked it up. Said if I was in, why I should look you up. I, first time I'd ever saw you. Oh, really? I really, like, just it being his voice, it being such a short story. Mm-hmm. But it says so much about the project and it says so much about Frank. And what I mean by that is like, you think about Drake, you think about The Weeknd, they're always, when they get famous, they're always singing about how the world has changed around. Everybody's changed. They haven't changed. They're the same. Dating is amazing. Fucking everybody's amazing. All of your, all of this. Good guy flips it. 
Frank has everything he wants now, and he's going out on a date where this person doesn't need him. Like, the fame does not help him. And it's like this, the best way I can describe why I love this song so much is it was because it was the time in my life when I was, like, in my mid-20s going out dating. And I was just like, no, this is, this sums it up. The fact that we're just two extremely lonely people, and we just need to be together for the night. But knowing we don't like each other and this is not going anywhere, that emotion is what he gets on Good Guy. Even the form of the song makes perfect sense within that context, which is like the short, sweet date. It's like that short, sweet date Yeah, where you're just like, nothing went wrong. But when he's like, what's the line he says about you text nothing like you look? Like, that is such a thing. I'm like, that's such a bar, bro. I know, right? Because I'm like, I've had that too. I've been hooked up with someone before and like we're texting and everything is going good. And then you're just like, oh, okay. You text nothing like you look and you talk way more than I do. It's such, I'm just like, that happens on a date. Like, yes, yeah. the yeah. good guy is that for me. Wait, let me guess. Like, is the song that you're picking... I'm not picking it in my nominations. It's like yours. You're not yeah. picking it in your nominations. Is it uh, Future or Free? No, but that does emotionally hit me. But it's it's Godspeed. I kind of spoiled it. I will always love you How I do Godspeed... I thought you were going to pick Godspeed. <laughs> no, yeah, I can't pick it. As much as I want to pick it, because like when he comes in and says, I will always love you, I just fucking crumble every How time. I thought, damn it. Fuck, you're fucking me up. I thought you were going to pick Godspeed, so I didn't <laughs> pick it. I was just like, I don't need to pick it. Okay, well, uh, for me, be, it's it's not enough a complete idea on its own. And I, God, I hate saying that about it, but it's like it's such a part of that run of three songs of White Ferrari, Siegfried, and Godspeed. That I feel when you when you detach it from that run from the album, it doesn't quite hold up as a singular song, or it doesn't carry the same impact. Um, God, I can't. Remember. This is sacrilege. When he when he comes in with the "I will always love you," I, oh like God. chills yeah. every single yeah. time. And it's like co-written by James Blake, who one of my favorite current artists, who also has an angelic voice. It's just. Yeah, it's it's the one that gets. I heard it in a coffee shop recently, and I started tearing up in the coffee shop. I was like, Jesus Christ! Uh, yeah, there's so many moments on Blonde though that he's so oh, good man. at enveloping you in a feeling that, frankly, like not like any other current artist can for me. Not even Kendrick. Like Kendrick has moments. Like Kendrick is my artist. We've talked about this, but even Kendrick, you know can't do what frank does he does it in moments like a sing about you but it's very few and far between frank just seems to do it i don't think he can do it for a whole album i don't yeah think frank does it for a al whole album yeah just it's and it brings you through it's like uh, my childhood is probably nothing like his but it just i'm reflecting on my childhood on my past relationships and even like the sentiment of the album was honestly really life-changing for me. The idea that you can look back on memory, like being comfortable with who you are today allows you to look back on past memories of loss or heartbreak or grief or, and like remembering them fondly. That has been such a um, philosophical kind of guidepost in my life now. And it really changed the way that I've, I've viewed my past and staying yeah, just uh, just appreciating every moment it sounds cliche, but like the good and bad, the duality of good and bad, how that expresses just the life, you know, life in general, just that duality of suffering and joy. 
it just allows you to have like a, I think it's just a very beautiful perspective on who you are, who you've been, who you're becoming, and ultimately what your what your end will be. Like the the, the album somehow captures everything about life uh, in a very just beautiful and I don't know. Am I am I overselling I here? I love you so much, Cole. I wish I could just <laughs> hug you right now. I wish I could just come to the like the, the computer screen and hug you. That was such a beautiful essence. <laughs> But, I mentioned is that I mean sorry before you move on are you because I know you see I know you by now I'll say something sweet and then your instinct is just to pivot away before you show any emotion oh no no no! I Am was I? too much I'm just like I can't because like here's the thing I'm gonna get emotional later in the conversation okay, so I'm like okay. I can't spoil it now but okay. everything you were saying I'm just like Cole is my boy like he's just <laughs> like he gets it like he gets right. it we're tapped we're tapped in all right let's 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 hit him with my favorite segment of the show maybe your favorite all right now it's time to move on to what is equally our favorite segment it's called super Super quiz Quiz kids here's the thing what's going to be interesting about super quiz kids is that there is not a lot about this album there's a lot written about this album critically but as we said frank ocean has only done one interview most of the producers engineers have spoken but they have not really spoken that much about this record because of the way it was created and how secretive it was so i'm very interested to see i'm pretty sure he made most of them sign ndas yes so So, for those that have forgotten super quiz kids is where cole and i attempt to stump each other with little known facts about the album whoever gets the most questions correct will get first pick in the last song standing segment at the end of the episode cole i'm gonna go first all right all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring out the big gun. All right, ooh, Godspeed, one of your favorite songs, has a accompanying screenplay in the Boys Don't Cry magazine. Can you name all of the characters that appear <laughs> in the screenplay? Oh my god, <laughs> I had to go hard. I had to go hard. <laughs> there is six. Okay, I don't know this, but can, true or false? I own the, the extremely limited Boys Don't Cry magazine. Yes or no? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. That's why I correct. put that's why I put it in here because I'm like I know he owns it, but <laughs> I don't know if he's really been in the trenches with it. So you don't know any of the names. No, I mean I definitely read it when I was doing a season on him, but it's been 5 years since I did that, so I know. What are the names? Steely, Shuby, Matthew, Garton, Clark, Danny. All right. Did you read it? Did you get to? Did you read the screen? I started reading some of it, but I'm gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I, I was a little bit like. I think there's a reason Frank is an R&B singer and not a sci-fi screenplay writer. No <laughs> offense, Frank. But, uh, I love uh, you, Frank. But yeah. So all right, I, I finally got one on you. Can okay. you? Now it's your turn. All right. So, Blonde ends with a lengthy sound collage of kids sharing answers or answering questions about themselves. Who are these kids? Jeez. They're like a they're like a group. They have a name. You're going to have to tell me. All right. It's the LA sp- skateboard collective called Illegal Civilization. Yeah, no. And it also also includes um his younger brother. Uh, I knew it was his younger brother. I did not know the collective. Like I knew the younger brother part did not know. That was a good one. That was good. This my next one is probably too easy, but maybe not. We know that Frank Ocean loves cars, correct? Oh, yeah. In a letter discussing Blonde, 
Frank Ocean described the feeling of making this album as being in the presence of a specific car. What car did he compare Blonde to? Oh, that's a really good question because I definitely reread the letter. But he has a couple cars that he mentions in it. Was it an Audi? It wasn't. Oh, shit. Was it the BMW then? Nope. Okay. I don't, yeah, then I don't know. McLaren F1. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right. he has that anecdote about how, like, I think it's the sentence after he was saying, like, Raph Simmons was essentially like, this is such a cliche hetero boy thing to be into cars. Yeah. Uh, which is very, very funny for, for like, him to say because I'm just like, Tyler and Frank, so much of their existence has to yeah. do with their love of cars, which is like very, very funny. What's your, neither of us have got one on the board. What's your, what's your next one? Ooh, okay. I have like four here. So let me, let me make sure I give you the best one. Um, here, let's do it. Let's just do a rapid fire. Let's do, see if I get any. Okay. What song does Kanye West have writing credits for? Is this a trick question? Is it the McDonald's song from <laughs> the Boys Don't Cry magazine? No, that's a, that's, great you remember that but no it's white ferrari it's not i don't it's not clear what he wrote it's not obvious to me i don't know if it was like a sample one of those obscure samples you hear in the background or something but kanye west does have writing credits for that damn i was trying to i thought you were trying to trick me damn it this one's a softball what was the original long rumored title of blonde oh that's easy boys don't cry all right good when frank had writer's block post channel orange he left the country and moved into an apartment in what city was it london Yep. New cause here's no because Blonde was made in a couple places, but London I think was the was definitely the place where he stopped all of the writer's block stuff. Yeah, he it was kind of in tandem with that conversation, but also he was getting very disenfranchised from L.A. It sounded like some drama was happening, which just wasn't a good environment for him. So he ended up just leaving it as part of a bigger. It's very symbolic of Frank leaving L.A., leaving the music label, leaving that life. It wasn't even just the label. Wasn't it around this time where I think he gets new management or like yep. yeah. his team, he distances himself from his team. Like yep. this was very much like Frank taking stock of his entire career. Exactly. Uh, and then Blonde is like him, like the coming out party of like, this is how I want to be an artist now. It's Yeah. It's like, and you f that's the thing. Cause as I touched on in the themes and stuff, like you don't realize how it sounds like he just went through such a transformation in between Tr Channel Orange and Blonde personally. Seems like he have reevaluated his, his life, made all these changes or worked towards all these changes that really culminated in Blonde in terms of like, it is the album that he released independently. It is the album that he swindled both Def Jam and Apple Music for $20 million. Like it was just like the master plan that he'd been brewing for years. That was a part of this bigger transformation of him taking hold of his life and really deciding on what he wanted to do with his life. It's it's such a, like Blonde somehow encompasses and symbolizes all of that stuff. Um, also, we forget too, these years, like there were like big failures. Do you, I don't know if you were like checked in like this, but do you remember when he like flopped at the Grammys, he was oh, performing right. Forrest Gump, yeah. and like it just went terrible. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting because now we have a similar thing at Coachella, where I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on with Frank, but I definitely remember this time as I think the you could put the Grammy um, performance in this as well as like he seemed very uncomfortable with the trajectory of his career, and that's I think goes hand in hand with what we were talking about, which is. I think there are a lot of fans that stopped with Channel Orange because what emerges after that is almost like 
a before and after. Like Frank is almost a different artist in a yeah. way, which makes talking about him different, like weird because I'm like the, the blonde Frank is nothing like anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's cause he did try that hat on for a couple, like at least a year there, right? After channel orange, he does a little tour. He does the Grammys. He does a couple late night talk show performances. SNL. So, right. like he, he does, does all the things. things. He does the things. And you can kind of tell that he wasn't really into it or comfortable or it didn't go well for him or whatever it was. And it seems like he had a taste of that life, decided that life was not going to be for him, and then started building this master plan to like, you know, and it doesn't also doesn't help that Def Jam shelved him. So, it, you know, he couldn't have had great feelings about that label since day one. And I don't know. It's a, I feel like we actually don't talk about that part enough of him, of this mastermind plan post Channel Orange to buy out, to fulfill his record contract with Endless, to buy out Channel Orange. Apparently, he owns Channel Orange now. Owns the master recordings for those. Gets somehow without <laughs> without Def Jam or Universal knowing, strikes a deal with Apple Music for exclusive uh, window release of Blonde. For twenty million dollars, like holy shit! Like I guess, I guess behind the scenes, he was telling his friends his plan, and all of them said, You're, "This is going to like fail." I mean, this, and to be no fair, way. for him to at that point have to buy out his masters, he was probably broke. If I'm going to be real, if this does not work out, like I don't know if there's a Frank Ocean left in terms of like Def Jam. That album has "Thinking About You." Like "Thinking About You" is still streaming today. Right. So I don't know what that conversation was like, but there are very few artists ever in in recorded history that can make that type of move off of their debut album. Like there are yeah. very it took it took Jay Z years, decades, right. to even get to the point where he could start buying back his masters. So Frank was Frank is a one of one. It's time we've set up the history. Themes of Blonde, but we're moving on to the nominations. And the winner is Frank Flippin' Ocean. Frank Ocean. The winner is Frank Ocean. Remember, the goal of each episode is simple. Last Song Standing is for Cole and I to determine the single best song from a Frank Ocean album. The songs we select over the course of the season will then duke it out in a season finale Royal Rumble, which is next week. And we will be forced to crown the last song standing. But right now, it's nominations time. Cole, who who should go first? I would like you to go first. You, you would like mind. me to go first? Yeah. Ooh. All right. I'm setting, I'm setting the tone right here. I'm so curious, dude. I... We've been like behind the scenes. I was kind of like trying to feel out where you're going. I didn't want too much overlap. So, but I still have no clue what you're picking. So I, here's the thing. I know we overlap on one song. I already know what that. So I won't do that first. I will go with the song that I think is objectively the most popular off this album. And the one that I think carries a bunch of weight in terms of understanding the album. I have to go with Nights. I think Nights is the platonic ideal of a Frank Ocean pop song. I, like, if you want it, when we talk about Novocaine to Swim Good to Thinking About You, 
I think there's a clear trajectory that you can map in terms of like how good he is getting at writing pop songs. Nights is the moment on a structural level where you're like, not only can Frank Ocean write a perfect pop song, he can write a complex, daring, unexpected tapestry. Like to me, that's what Nights is. And it also serves such an important function within Blonde because it is the song that separates the albums into the two halves, in my opinion. Like even Nights, the song, from a very just like structural standpoint, there are there's version A or side A, side B. Mm-hmm. And like text metatextually, there is like to me a side A of Blonde and then a side B of Blonde. And I think what I love about Nights so much is that. What Frank is doing with his delivery, he has a lackadaisical rapping style, and then he's doing a singing style that's tossed off, but it's soft and then melancholic, and the melodies are very sad, but they're bright, and he's going back and forth. What he's talking about, the different versions of Nights, is fascinating to me. And you have side A, where he spins this tale of a toxic relationship, And he's lightly using this metaphor of essentially like working the night shift. And he's talking about this aching dependency, you know, when he says, working through your worst night, if I get my money right, you know I won't need you. And then Mm. there's that jealousy where round your city, round the clock, everybody needs you. No, you can't make everybody equal. Although you got Buku family, you don't even got nobody being honest with you. Because I'll ask you this, Cole. When I'm listening to that, I'm just like, is Frank talking about his lover or is he talking about himself or is it both? Yeah, I think it's both because he's, I'm pretty sure this was very much about his time in New Orleans and him, you know, he ends up leaving New Orleans for where he grew up, where he had childhood friends for LA. And I feel like this is him having those kind of, I'm outgrowing this city feelings and things around me aren't going the way that I want. I'm trying to take control of my life. I'm in this kind of shitty relationship. I'm ready to leave. Like that's kind of the feeling that I get from night. So I think it's, I think he's like, he often does uses the relationship to say something larger or get at something larger. And that's what I, cause like side B to your point is then very autobiographical. It is about Frank leaving New Orleans after the hurricane. Right. So it is like this song, what is genius of, to me is that he's talking about himself and his struggles with leaving a place and that nostalgic feeling. And if we go back to what we've been saying this entire season, what I think is so interesting about Blonde as a project is that it almost fits very neatly in that cliche sophomore album concept of I finally got everything that I wanted and it's no longer enough. Like Frank is now the star. Frank has become an R&B singer. He's he's been nominated for Grammys. He's done all those things. And Nights gives me that feeling. And a lot of this album gives me that feeling of, I was running from my childhood, but I think my childhood is the thing that I want now and I can't have it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what is so special about Blonde. Because to your point of what you were saying, it is very much an album of, reflecting and on your past at at your present moment and i think that nights does such a beautiful job of it 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because if you look at the first half of the album as the childhood portion, the summer portion, the you know the you know mo- most of the songs on the first half are very warm uh, and represent I feel like the childhood, and then you get the division of nights not only within the song itself, it's this transformation of from New Orleans to L.A. or this move, this big event in his life. Which, if you're thinking about Frank's life, the move to L.A. probably symbolizes for him the end of his childhood if he's moving away from his you know where he grew up and away from his friends and family that's the mo- that's like the inciting incident in the Frank Ocean story yeah. this move to LA and then ushers him into adulthood and all the stuff that we hear on the second half of the album um it really to your point it just it quite literally draws a line of you know uh, divides the album in half into these two sides and yeah, it's it's beautiful. I've 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 a conspiracy corner. This triggers my conspiracy corner, but I want to make sure that you got to say what you wanted to say about Nights. The last thing I'll probably say about Nights, a song that I love and is like easily I think the most popular off this album, is that what I think is what we've already kind of talked about is that Nights also is a song where he's touching upon the struggles that he's facing now where he's the first person in his family probably that has this amount of money. And there is no one around him who is being honest. And But what is interesting about that, the duality, is that the way he sings it and the way a lot of the songs around Nights operate, this is how he feels about everybody else. This is how he feels about the people that he is dating. He feels like no one, like when we're going to talk about it later, a lot of the songs he feels like the people that he's dating grew up on different advice. They're, they're not saying what they should to his face. They're being fake. And this has a dichotomy of it where Frank is starting to doubt, like, am I also that type of person, in my opinion? Mm. Like, now that I'm trying to get out and I'm trying to escape, and like, as we know, part of what influences this album is somebody call, is a friend calling him to talk about what it was like in New Orleans. So we know this is autobiographical, at least a lot of it is. So it's just interesting how Frank sets himself as the narrator or as the protagonist of his own story because it is very rare for an R&B artist or a rap artist around this time to be talking about themselves with this much transparency. Because if you listen to my point, if you listen to Drake, nothing is ever Drake's fault. Like when you listen to Drake's music, like literally nothing is. Everything around Drake is happening and he's just like, he's just like, how could y'all do this to Drake? And Frank is like, the rare R&B singer who is just like, what is also my role in this? Which I find fascinating, but conspiracy corner. Well, nice. be, so before, well, it has to do with the beat switch, but do you remember the first time you heard the beat switch? Transcendent, <laughs> Like, And that's why I also think that, you know me, I think I am very harsh on beat switches yeah. as a Thing. like it drives me crazy like when baby keem does that shit like oh, i've come it's... around i'm a baby keem fan now i like baby keem oh okay big revelation yeah but i i'm not a fa- like the beat switch has to be so good and has to work and the second beat that comes either needs to be just as good sonically or thematically just as important for me to give a shit and i think n- the beat switch on nights is the rare one where i'm like the song actually does not work without this yeah, that's the interesting thing about Nights because the first 
the first and second halves on their own, if they're their own songs, aren't actually that strong to me. They're good, don't get me wrong, but the brilliance of Nights is that the the, the whole makes it is better than the sum of its parts. And so my, one of my favorite things to do still to this day is go on YouTube, look up first reaction videos for Blonde, which I did in preparation for this and watch people freak out <laughs> for the, bre- the beat switch because it's so crazy. Like the guitar solo, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? And then like the, the most brilliant thing about that beat switch is I don't think it works without that little reversed bass drum that goes the little sound. You know, when it kicks in, it's like, boom, like you take that away. And that beat switch is like vastly doesn't, it doesn't work like quite as well to me anyways. Um, okay. So Kevin cue my music. This is Cole's conspiracy corner. This is where I try to pitch Charles on my most outlandish musical conspiracy. And he tells me if I'm full of shit or not. So We'll start with the basic. The conspiracy corner is not that the beat switch divides Blonde perfectly in half. I think that is well established. It's a thing. Blonde is 60 minutes long, to the almost to the second. The, the beat switch in Nights divides the, the album perfectly in half to the second. That's a thing. Okay, so, but I feel like we get caught up in that one thing and don't really respect all the other permutations of the duality theme and motif throughout this project. So I'm going to hit you with just a bullet point list of all the ways that I at least figured out how he explored this idea of duality. So, you know, there's two spellings. Do you know the two spellings blonde versus blonde with the E? Do you know about that with the title? Yes, but clarify for the listener. Okay. So blonde, there's two versions of the album. Sometimes it's spelled with an E. Sometimes it's spelled without an E. There's, I saw three. I was looking. I was researching. Some people think there's three with blonded. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, anyway, because that my, blonded radio, we know like right. Oh, I got the blonded shirt on right now. Um, <laughs> I paid way too much for. But okay, so blonde versus blonde with an e in French. These are the spellings in French, and one is masculine and one is feminine. So he's definitely doing that. Um, one thing that I thought about, which I don't know if it's true, but in terms of like, you know, kids are often born with blonde hair and then that it gets darker as they age. My, my youngest daughter had bright, bright blonde hair and now it's darker. So I thought that's very fitting of an album that goes from childhood to adulthood that is titled blonde. The album structure thing, of course, 60 minutes, night's beat switch divides it perfectly in half. We get the day, we get the night portion of the album we get the childhood versus adulthood portion of the album divided perfectly into two two 30 minute parts so that's the album structure is around duality both sides if you count nights as two two songs as if the first half belongs on side a and the second half belongs on side b both sides both 30 minute halves have exactly nine songs so there's symmetry there um but also here's something that i don't think a lot of people know both Nikes or all three Nikes, Knights, and Futura Futura Free, the first, middle, and last song on the album are also divided in half. Nikes has two distinct halves: the one with his high pitched up voice, and then it transitions into the guitar part with his natural voice. Knights, we just talked about, 
clear division. Futura Free has is divided perfectly in half by silence. And so you have these micro expressions of the duality structure within the very beginning, very middle, and very end of the album. So perfect symmetry there. And then the real conspiracy corner is this, and it has to do with Futura Free. Because I don't, you're not picking Futura Free, right? I'm not. I like okay. the song a lot. Okay, but... so I had to sneak this in there because I didn't think it was, but it has to do with this. So Futura Free is divided perfectly in half. There's silence that enter. That's the, the gap of silence that enters the song, happens exactly to the second halfway between in, in the song. Um, the last thing that we hear on the album is a kid asking, "How far is a light year?" He asks it twice, and then the album ends. That's the last thing we hear on the album. This question: How far is a light year? Charles, do you know how far a light year is? Oh, okay. So it's. Uh, a light year is the distance that light travels in a single year. According to astronomers, that is a single light year is 9.4 trillion kilometers. Do you know how long Future Free is as a song? It is nine minutes and 24 seconds. Do you know that 0.4, trillion kilometers, 0.4 expressed as seconds is exactly 24. So the answer to the question, how far is a light year, is answered by the length of the song, exactly 9.4 minutes long, nine minutes and 24 seconds. You want to buy it. You want to buy it. I can see it. (laughs) I think that Frank could have thought about this. Justin, are you believing this conspiracy corner? This is the rudest thing anyone's ever done to me is bring me in when we're dealing with math. (laughs) (laughs) This was not what I signed up for when I said I want to go to school and produce music podcasts. I didn't really go to school for that. Um, I'm with it. I'm with this one. Yeah, let's rock with it. It's not, it's, here's the thing. It's not, it's not a crazy theory. I think Frank, Frank is the type of person to do it. It's just like, if I have to ask this many questions about it, it, that is when, I'm a little, and here, just really quick, just for idea's sake, if he did choose to do that, this is like one rung removed from every weed rapper always making their songs like four minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> like that is like, that is how I view when people do this shit, where I'm just like, eh, okay. All right, we're getting into the corny zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, okay, we quickly on the Knights Beat Switch thing. Do you understand how hard it is? To make an album exactly 60 minutes long and then divide it perfectly in half with a climactic transcendent moment. It's like, I if that was like, if I ever got to talk to Frank, I would just ask him how he did that. Because, and without sacrificing the album, right? Like, it doesn't sound like he did a bunch of shit to make this mathematical thing work. It just, I don't, but it's just, it's incredible to me to have that, that ability that ability of craft and I don't know. I just, it's one of those things. I'm just like, how the fuck did he do that? It's, it's, it's remarkable. Can, can I, can I push back on one thing though? Okay. In regards to that. Sorry. Uh, I don't know if the audience wants to hear me pushing back on these things, but here I am. (laughs) When you start to throw in the skits, like his mom and the Facebook story, you can kind of play with the time a little bit and engineer it if you have the idea. Oh, do you think that like, he, the original album was coming in at like 
58 and he's like all right how can we pad the number <laughs> maybe maybe i'm just i'm just saying you know like those songs because they're just little interludes they can be whatever length they need to be and yeah, i think I, facebook story goes on just a little too long so well i think i think most of that work the timing work is done actually in future free which is why i'm like puzzled about the light year thing because he throws in silence for kind of no reason or it doesn't need to be there but there's a gap of silence for how i forgot how many seconds but if he was close to the 60 minute mark he could have played with how much silence he could have the whole montage of kids at the end of the album he could have easily made that longer or shorter depending on you know how much so i think i think a lot of the work was done with futura free i like this one i like that i'm right. signed up knights okay. is my first pick Love it. Cole, don't go to the one you think we're gonna agree on. Go to go to one you think we'll fight over. All right. I'm going with White Ferrari. I didn't care to state the plane. Kept my mouth closed. We're both so Is this on your list? Hell no. I know people like White Ferrari. Don't kill me, y'all. But like no this is called Last Song Standing, guys. Come on. Come on. What are we doing? This song is fucking incredible. It's written perfectly. That's what I will say. This is a perfectly written song. It is. I mean, this stretch of songs, White Ferrari, Siegfried Godspeed, is some of the most transcendent music I have ever heard. And it it pains me to even talk about these songs singularly because to detach them from this moment of the album seems like a crime. But White Ferrari, I think out of all three, I chose it because I was having, I, I needed this part of the album to be represented. And White Ferrari in this single song exercise, I think, represents it well, but also functions pretty well on its own as a complete thought and a complete song in a in a typical traditional song way. Um, so I love that it's based around this car. It's just so frank. It's so, you know, he talked a lot about cars in that letter. Um, he said, quote, how much of my life has happened inside a car? I wonder if the odds that I'll die in one knock on wood grain. Um, but he says, we live in cars in some cities, commuting across space, either for our livelihood or devouring fossil fuels for joy. It's as much, it's close to as much time as we spend in our beds. And so you can just tell a lot of things in Frank's life has happened inside of a car. We know the Channel Orange story of him confessing his love to that guy it happened inside a car. So I just love that white Ferrari in terms of a Frank Ocean song, we get the car symbolism, which we just know is really important to him. Um, but of course, it's not just a car. So White Ferrari is also so the the opening the opening the opening line of the song is "Bad luck to talk on these rides, mine on the road. Your dilated eyes watch the clouds float." White Ferrari. So not only is this a car or even a trip inside of car, it's a drug trip. You know, the dilated eyes insinuate that they're on drugs. And white Ferrari is the name of a, a specific type of ecstasy. It's a white pill with a Ferrari logo stamped on it. So we get the clever kind of double meaning there. Also, it says your dilated eye, sorry, your dilated eyes watch the clouds float white Ferrari. So even it paints the image for me, at least, that in the clouds, they're seeing a silhouette of a white Ferrari. So the possible third meaning there. But also white is this, you know, traditional color of purity. And this song takes place when he's 16 years old. And the gist of the song is him dropping this guy off at Central, which is Central City in New Orleans. So we know this happened in New Orleans. 
Um, and the end of this car ride symbolizes the end of this relationship and both of them sitting in silence knowing that it's the end. And so it's just one of those moments, Begin. this is all happening in the beginning of the song, that I've had things happen like this in cars. You know, I've had hard conversations in cars and the atmosphere of the song, the minimal uh, keyboard sound and just the atmospheric sounds that come in and out just puts you in this dream memory, nostalgic quality, drug trip quality, just captures that feeling so well of being inside a car and having a kind of transcendent or important moment in your life happening. And I think the production on like so much of Blonde, the production of White Ferrari is so fucking brilliant, but it's so understated that I don't feel like we appreciate it enough because it is for the most part, a single keyboard and then a single guitar comes in at the end or towards the middle. But if you listen in, especially with headphones, you'll hear these just sounds coming in and out, all these textural ambient sounds that really add to the feeling that you get when you're listening to this track. He had 50 different versions of White Ferrari, he said. And even his little brother, Ryan, had said he had heard one of these versions, said, that's the one you got to release. And Frank was like, no, uh, let me get the exact quote. He says, he said, not, not, that's not the version because the version... I haven't found the version that is evoking the right feeling. And then uh, John Caramarnica asked a follow-up question and said, what were you chasing? And he said, quote, they're just chords, just melodies. I don't know what combination of those objects is going to make me how I feel, make me feel how I need to feel, but I know precisely the feeling that needs to happen. And so White Ferrari, although minimal production wise, took 50 iterations to get to which I think really just tells you the kind of intricacy and perfectionism that Frank was detailing. We take it for granted because it is so minimal, but a lot of thought went into conveying the feeling that we get when we listen to a transcendent song like White Ferrari. It just doesn't happen by accident. Um, then we get like the, the beautiful moment where the guitar comes in and he interpolates the famous Beatles song uh, and said, spending each day of the year. This comes from uh, the Beatles song, Here, There, and Everywhere. And what I think one of the most powerful things you can do by interpolating another person's song, especially a song as famous as the Beatles, is that you extract a single moment. It's kind of like what he did and we talked about it with Strawberry Swing. Extract one line that represents not only that song that you're pulling from and giving you a contextual kind of like atmosphere to work that that kind of anchors your own original song from, but also allows you to explore that one single line in a way that even the original song didn't ex explore as much. Um, and so Paul McCartney's version or uh, song here, there, everywhere, where this that Frank interpolates is all about wanting someone's physical presence with you all the time, here, there, and everywhere. Frank flips, kind of flips that idea and says, essentially what, the, what it, I think is one of the biggest takeaways from the album is that every person that we've ever loved is actually with us here, there, and everywhere. They are a part of us because that experience with them made us who we are today. And so it's not a physical thing it's And no matter how, how much we try to distance ourselves from some of the people that we've loved, it's impossible. They are here, they're everywhere with us all the time because they're in our emotional DNA. They have shaped who we are. And I think White Ferrari 
captures that sentiment. There are songs, there are a lot of songs on, on, on Blonde that have that same idea as the anchor, the thematic anchor. But I feel like the feeling that we get of White Ferrari, it's one of the more powerful expressions of that idea. Um, and it's just, it's just beautiful. I just, it's just a fucking lovely, lovely song. So you, you remember that part of the letter where Frank references that time that he takes shrooms at Caltech's trip day. Um, and his manager had to come pick him up essentially. And that part of the letter reminds me of white Ferrari because he said, as I got into the car, I swear to God, the aluminum center console in her Porsche truck looked like it was breathing like the throat of something. On the freeway leaving Pasadena, we spoke, and I looked away outside at the wheels and tires of cars doing the optical illusion thing they do, where it looks like they're spitting backwards, which according to Google, happens because our brains are assuming something completely wrong and showing it to us. And I think White Ferrari is a perfect example of like Frank simultaneously looking backward and forward. Mm-hmm. and yeah. recontextualizing a relationship like i assume that this relationship probably is the one he's talking about on channel orange what would you say it's i don't think it is i did the, i did the math during you the, did the math it's not because it's it's he was 16 in the background of the opening line he says i was 16 or sweet 16 how was i supposed to know anything so this very clearly grounds us when he was 16 that relationship that he talked about in channel orange happened when he was 19 ah so this is why i come to you this is like (laughs) you did the math but i do think that this is like an interesting thing about like telling that story of when he's like tripping balls and he's like seeing things on the road and that feeling like this song gives me that feeling of when you think you are seeing wheels turn one way but they're actually turning another and it's your brain messing up and i think to your point we've been talking about it blonde is such a record about if the first portion of Frank's career is about him trying to make sense of not only his sexuality, but his childhood and these relationships that form him. White Ferrari almost has that pure feeling of someone kind of coming to some sort of state of understanding yeah. about it. And like, yeah. I'll ask you this. Do you think he could have written this song even a year or two earlier? Like in terms of like in the Channel Orange nostalgia ultra era i don't know if he could in a lot of the songs i hear bits of channel orange i think what really separates the two is the way he develops ideas where in channel orange for the most part he's developing them like a traditional song his songwriter roots are really showing on channel orange where it's like even a song like siegfried you can date that but he was performing parts of that song live in 2012 and 2013 right after channel orange but then we get the Siegfried that's on the album and it sounds nothing like those early versions, but the melodies are somewhat similar. So I think in the, in like so much of Frank during this period between channel orange and blonde, he really reinvented the way that he was developing his ideas. And so you get the classic Frank ocean, beautiful melody in a song like white Ferrari, and you get the very nuanced, you know, songwriting in terms of lyricism, but the way that the song structured, I mean, there's obviously no hook at all. You get the refrain of white Ferrari, which kind of grounds it. But, you know, to go from the ambient synth to a strummed acoustic guitar, the Beatles interpolation, and then the 
beautiful climax where he says, in this life, in this life, mind over magic, I do magic. Like, But even think about what he says after that. If you think about it, it'll be over in no time, and that's life. Yeah, exactly. I don't think as, as an artist, maturity-wise, like that's a very mature thing to say, yeah. where it's Nostalgia Alternate Channel Orange, he's still very much pining for, for a certain someone, for a yeah. time in his life. And white ferrari to say if you think about it it'll be over in no time and that's life is almost a letting go in a way yep. that you don't hear a lot in the earlier music he's oh, yeah. clawing he's holding on to this era for dear life and white ferrari almost feels like i kind of know it's it's gone now. yeah i mean even the, and white ferrari sets off the the run of white ferrari siegfried godspeed which really culminates in Godspeed. Futura Free is like credits rolling on the album to me. Godspeed is the moment. That's the yeah. moment of when he says, I will always love you. And, uh, you know, like that, just that expression alone, I will always love you. That is him coming to terms with those heartbreaks and learning to let go now that he's found himself. I think that was the difference between Channel Orange and Blonde is he hadn't really found who he was yet. And so, when you don't know who you are, you're really still deeply affected by the things that you feel like were unfair or unjust or broke your heart or whatever. The Again, to, to reiterate the point of Blonde, I think, is once you found self-acceptance, it allows you to free yourself from the burden of those memories. And White Ferrari is part of that, that pivotal moment of the album. Um, so that's my first pick. Oh, I love this. See, I kind of sold you on it. I, yeah, I sold you on I it. I think I like the first half of this album more, and I think you gravitate towards the second half. He, well, yes and no. Uh, I gravitate, I think, to me, it's very clear, White Ferrari, Siegfried, Godspeed is the heart of the album to me. that's. I totally disagree. Oh, okay, well then hit me, hit me with your next pick, because I'm guessing it's in the first half. It is in the first half. I think that one thing that we don't talk about a lot with Blonde, it is a very almost, there are very nihilistic moments to Blonde or very sobering moments. If you think about Pink and White, it, he says, it's all downhill from here, solo. Mm -hmm. It's hell on earth and the city's on fire. In hell, in hell, there's heaven. Or Skyline 2, summer ain't as long as it used to be. Every day counts like crazy. Like he, the way he is talking about life and love there is this darker side to it that is a departure to me. It does not sound like Strawberry Swing. Even when he got darker in the past with a with a swim good or a pyramids, there was still this type of hopefulness. And I'm not saying that there's not any hope. On Blonde, there obviously is because he is coming, he is coming into his own. We see that to your point in songs like White Ferrari or Godspeed. But I think I love the first half of this album so much because there is that tinge of the way I thought my present would work out is not actually how it did. And one of the songs that I think does it the best is Ivy. I thought that I was dreaming when you said you loved me. The start of nothing. I had no chance to prepare. I couldn't see you coming. The start of nothing. Are you gonna kill me for liking Ivy? Okay, I like Ivy. It's a beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a great, 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 great song. Make the case for it, then I'll tell you my thoughts. So I think the lyric that anchors this song is one of the most important 
lyrics on all of Bond, and one of the most important lyrics to understanding Frank at all is when he says, I ain't a kid no more, we'll never be those kids again. Yeah, that's, yeah. The fact that you say that on the second <laughs> song off your project, right. when quite literally everything we know that comes at before this is, no, I want to be those kids again, or I'm trying to understand what why it was so special that moment. To me, that is, like, that is this album. And yeah. I also think Ivy does a better job than Nike's, and I like Nike's, of almost giving you a crash course of what this album is going to be because Ivy goes in so many different directions, whether he's pitching up his voice, distorting his voice, yeah. stretching his voice. It sets up the the palette, the tone of this album um, and the weird collages of memory and of, of different viewpoints happening of the same incident or the same memory. And... If we're talking, we always kind of talk. We talked about it last episode about Frank Ocean's openings. Yeah. One of the best of all time. To your point, the opening line's per a perfect lyric, like absolutely perfect lyric. But then to twist right away and say the start of nothing, and you just understand the entire song just off those two lyrics. Does that the oh yeah. To me, I like that's why I think that this song has to be on any like best blonde out like song conversations because if you take Ivy out like the album kind of falls apart in terms of you understanding where Frank is coming from in terms of like how he is viewing his past I think also just the metaphor of Ivy and of this thing that grows out of control and is a pest and even how he ends the second verse you ain't a kid no more. We'll never be those kids again. It's not the same. Ivory's illegal. Don't you remember? When he says, ooh, I can hate you now. It's all right to hate me now. But both know that deep down, the feeling still deep down, deep down is good. Is good. That is the, that's the whole album. You and know, then that's... when he does the, he goes into the falsetto. Oh, all you're, the things you're, I didn't yeah. mean to say. Yeah, I didn't mean a... to do. There were things you didn't say. Did you mean to? Mean to? And then he repeats that like, super jarring and just i've been dreaming of you and he contorts yeah. these like for the longest i didn't even know what he was talking about but that feeling that oh like it just hits you yeah and i think that that is actually what like a good album does where it's like at first nike's is so jarring but if you surrender yourself to the project and you listen to ivy right after it you're like okay he's deconstructing what we understand him as an artist to be and he is like, that is to your point, the line that you just read, the feeling still deep down is good. How much of this album is Frank playing with the idea of what is truly bad for me? And what of the things that I'm feeling that might still be negative still feel good? Like, can those two things coexist? These little dualities come up almost in every song where it's like yeah he, he directly juxtaposes i could hate you now you could hate me now but the feeling's still good these these feelings coexist and that's fine and it's kind of beautiful i mean even when we talk about the uh when we talk about stupid lazy unconcerned like even right. think about how much of this album is about the highs of 
love of Frank Ocean, of the drugs. Like he's referencing white Ferraris. You have the mob talking about marijuana. You have all of this stuff. And then you have the come down always, most of the time in the same song. Yeah. And that's what I love about Ivy is that like, he's he's telling us we're never going to be those kids again. But then he's following it up. Like by the end of the song, he's like, yo, but the feeling. Yeah. Still good, still great, <laughs> still hits people. Yeah. That's why I have to choose Ivy. I also, this also might be because of its placement on the project, but I'm looking right now. That's the most streamed song, right? Except Pink and White. Pink and White on Spotify, at least, is at 817 million, and Ivy is at 605. Yeah, it's close. I love Ivy. I'm not going to shit on it. It's just in this song exercise, the way that I've been trying to um help whittle down my choices because I can make a case for like half the songs on the album. Ivy to me in this exercise exclusively. I don't know if it showcases enough of who Frank Ocean is. I feel like in some ways it could kind of almost be on channel orange and it doesn't quite show me enough of the experimentation. It's a pretty traditional song structure which I which I get actually kind of you can make a case Whoa, for this that. Is, so it does have the weird song structure though i mean or maybe not the weird song structure but it definitely does have the outro what he's doing with his voice oh i know i know i know the I know. competing vocals like it is like this is not a straightforward no song. i know it shows some of that i just like does it show it enough and is it too traditional to represent frank that's that's where i was like skeptical about it in this exercise but you could also say those things in a positive light to make the case for it, that it is something you can put on a playlist. It, it functions everywhere. It's a, you know, it transcends all settings. So, you know, but that's, that's my, maybe that's just my personal preference showing through. Cause I like, I tend to like the more experimental stuff, but beautiful pick. I think that's a great pick. All right. Where are you going? Let's not agree with it. Don't pick some we're going to agree on. Pick some I'm going to hate. All right. I've been torn between two songs as my, I have my one that I'm saving for the end. That's the one I'm stumping hard for. I've been debating between Solo and Siegfried. I know Siegfried has the hearts of many diehard Frank Ocean fans. It is a phenomenal, phenomenal song. It has all the experimentation that I love. I've been, I've been on the fence about it because when you pluck it out as a single song, does it work outside the album? It does, but it's such a integral part of the album that it even just talking about it outside the context of the album even pains me to think about. Solo, kind of contrary to what I'm saying, was saying about Ivy's, does function very well as a single song in my opinion. It does better on the duality front, I think, as well as a song. It does. It also shows the Frank Ocean experimentation that I love. It also... I'm going to go, let me just go ahead and pick my, I'm going to pick solo. Hand me a towel, I'm dirty dancing by myself, gone off tabs, of that acid, form me a circle, watch my jagger, might lose my jacket. You had, dude, I'm so, I didn't want to like tip the scales, but dog, he opens this song saying, hand me a towel, I'm dirty dancing by myself, gone off tabs, of that acid. <laughs> like it's, this song is so good, bro. How could you not pick solo? It's so cool. It's such a cool song. Again, like, because the instrumentation of it is so weird, right? It's like just an organ through the whole song, but he's rapping over it, which is, for me, 
I love when rappers rap over a single instrument, preferably piano. A rapper just over solo piano to me is like gold and it's not done enough. Anyways, that flow, the cadence he finds over a solo organ is so cool, so unexpected, so frank, like no one else is doing this. Structurally, it's really interesting because it's two long verses, but within the two long verses, you get four like vignettes and all of them end with this idea of, of him saying solo. And every time he says solo, it the meaning changes. So just to give you a few examples, solo to your to your brilliant recreation there, dancing on drugs, it, him dancing solo, expressing this freedom. The next time he says it, it means being single. The next time he says it, it's in and out of a relationship. We don't have to be solo. The other time he says it, rolling solo, it means independence, but also rolling a joint. He's talking about smoking weed on that one. It also, and then he flips it to a solo punch, don't catch a solo. Um, and then when he's talking about the custody battle, it's about solo is about custody, a solo custody. So it's just super clever, super frank to just take this one word and just create a kaleidoscope around it of all these different meanings. Uh, also, we could get the clever solo instrument of a single organ solo instrument also we get the homophone of so low which i think andre explores more than frank does but we do get the i'm so low i'm so down we get that double meaning there so just cool lyrical stuff but then fucking a dude the chorus we get to the chorus perfect Perfect and the contrast between the rapt flow and him just belting out it's hell on earth and the city's on fire in hell in hell there's heaven it's hell on earth and the city's on fire in hell in hell there's heaven there's a bull in a matador dueling in the sky in hell in hell there's heaven we get the duality the heaven and hell dog how beautiful of a line is there's a bull in a matador oh i'm getting there in the sky. i got some stuff there just before we even get the before we even get there inhale and hell there's heaven so inhales implying drugs and hell contrasting with heaven finding moments of heaven while you're in hell the duality of life suffering joy it's all right there and then most artists would say shit i just wrote the one of the best lines i've ever ever gonna write my i'm gonna repeat this but no, he says, there's a bull and a matador dueling in the sky, inhale and hell, there's heaven. Just imagery wise, one of the most brilliant lines I've ever heard, perfectly capturing this duality theme. It's evoking the constellations of the sky, Taurus being a bull, Orion being a matador. Um, and so we get conflict. The way that I read this is like conflict is built into the cosmos. This duality I'm talking about throughout the whole album is built into the universe. This is an undeniable fact of life in the universe is these contrasting, conflicting energies. It's right there in the stars. And just it it provides a metaphysical element to this song that I think is captured throughout Blonde, specifically on the second half. There is something metaphysical about this album. There is something, it captures an atmosphere that just music so rarely captures. And that line is just, I don't know, it's so brilliant. But also, that's not even my favorite part of the song. My favorite part of the song is what he does after, which I think he says war. I'm not sure if he's singing war or oh, but he goes on that beautiful vocal No, it's the oh, and he like, it's building. And and then he's saying solo, like there's there's voices. And then he does the high pitch. Oh, 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 oh,
but he does the vocal run and then he hits the the high falsetto at the end yep. does the vocal run and it fucking just breaks me every single time i don't know it's if a you punch get in the gut bro <laughs> do you get chills when you listen to music yes this, this is the part where i wasn't gonna pick solo but i think if i'm picking like top five moments from blonde this moment that you're talking about where he goes on the vocal run he does the falsetto his voice is saying solo and it's building a lot of this album they were saying like was um was inspired by the beach boys and the way that yeah. you know they would they would layer a lot of their music and this is the best example to me of frank using his voice as an instrument yeah in this very weird way because also it's funny because like i'm assuming that the person doing the vocal runs and the person doing the ad libs and everything is Frank on a song called solo. And I'm like, normally you might get a chorus, you might get somebody else, you might get backup singers, but him just laying, layering his voice yeah. on solo. It's so many different ways is just so genius. Yeah, it's just, uh, and it works outside the out. I think you can, obviously it's probably, maybe not, the, it's a certain kind of playlist, but it, it it's a complete thought is a complete song. It's something you can, I think, it's fair to take it outside of the context of the album. It's, and it represents Frank so much because we do get the the rapped style of the verses, which I think even post Blonde is something that he's been exploring a lot more, is that more rap delivery. But then we get the beautiful voice and that the vocal run that only Frank Ocean can do. Like you, you have smartly pointed out that technically Frank's voice doesn't have the range, the technical, I can hit this many notes range of like the weekend. But the the magic of Frank's voice, what he's able to do with a more limited range, he, he has great range, but it's like, it's not as, it's not going to bully, like the range is, it's not Mariah Carey range, right? Like Even like somebody like a Jeremiah, like we've, we've listened to like right, a Jeremiah right, right. or like a Miguel, they are more classically trained singers. But what I would say is sometimes an artist having that many tools almost limits them in a way where it's because Frank has a more limited range to work with. He finds more inventive ways to stretch his voice, to do the runs, to layer it in a way that like you're not going to hear this in a weekend song. Like there's never right. I'm sorry, the weekend has never made a song that is as creative as solo. I'm just being real. And I like oh, yeah. the weekend. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. Um, so I feel good about the pick. I'm glad that you're into it too. Shout Hell out to Siegfried yeah. though. I want to give Siegfried you were gonna pick some love. Siegfried. I was about Dude, to fuck that. Siegfried's a masterpiece. It's a fucking masterpiece. But anyways. Let's move on. Go over before we go to a quick break. Round one, you pick White Ferrari. I pick Knights. Round two, you pick Solo. I pick Ivy. I'm feeling good. When we come back, we have one more song to do. But let's go to a quick break. Make sure you stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Look to your left, look to your right. Yep, no one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED lights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. 
featuring customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. All right, we're back. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Crack Rock Takes. I only have one this time. Oh, okay. Justin, are you there? I am here. What's up? This is a perfect time to do this Crack Rock Take because I'm going to be talking about the second solo off this album, Solo Reprise. And my crack rock take is that Andre 3000 has the best Drake diss of this entire era. Oh God, yes, 100. <laughs> well, well, wait a minute. What do we say by era? Are we? Because I actually listened to Story of Addy Don the other day randomly. Because that's I just po- do that. so. That's not this era. Okay, this, I just want to. I just want to clarify. Okay, this is pre Story of Addy Don. This is around the time where Drake is beefing with Meek Mill. Mm-hmm. You have Kendrick with King Kunta. You have a bunch of people being like, "Yo, Drake doesn't write his own lyrics." Yes. And most of those disses just did not do anything. They, they were fucking fine. I find Andre 3000's verse on this so funny because let's play a little. We could play a little bit of it. Close to an end. After 20 years in, I'm so naive I was under the impression that everyone wrote their own verses. It's coming back different. And yeah, that shit hurts me. I'm humming and whistling to those not deserving. I stumbled and lived every word. Was I working just way too hard? Basically, what Andre 3000 does is he's the elder statesman. He is the uncle that just is so hurt. He is so let down by mm-hmm. someone who goes unnamed but feels like is Drake. And I'm just like, I never in my adult life ever want to be the person that let Andre 3000 down, you know? It feels so earned when <laughs> Andre 3000 says this, right? Like, it feels different from Andre saying this versus Meek Mill saying something about Drake not writing, right? Like, it feels, like you said, like he let him down, but also just this idea, like, how hard has Andre worked at his craft? And then to just be like... These fucking kids, man. <laughs> this guy. So now it's time for our third song, and I'm almost positive we agree on this one. Do you want to say it? Can I say it, please? You can say it. Self control. Hell fucking yeah. Let's fucking go. I'm so glad we agree on this song because this song. Siegfried's a masterpiece. There's a lot of masterpiece songs. This fucking song, dude, is probably in my top, easily top 10 songs of all time. Maybe makes the top five. This song is just, 
It's one of the songs I I really I'm going to talk about it. I don't even like talking about it. It's transcendent. It words will only go, there's a famous quote. Uh, music begins where you know language ends. This is that song to me. Like this expresses everything that you can't say in words, particularly the second half. But let me let's just go. Okay, hold on. You picked it too, so let me give your opening remarks about self-control. So I hadn't thought about this until we were doing the exercise. This has always been a song that I loved. But if we like zoom out about Blonde and we think about the project and how it was made, so many of the creatives were like, I gave Frank this verse or this melody or this idea so many years ago, or we, he would send us all to different rooms and we would noodle and we would play and then Frank would take it and leave and you would never hear about it again. And most of those creatives only heard the finished product when the album was out. That tells you the amount of control that Frank Ocean likes to have over his art, his music, and his life. So what does it tell you about Frank Ocean the human when he is quite literally making a song about the idea of losing control, especially mm. of losing control within a relationship? And that dichotomy is so interesting to me because he makes this perfect, perfect piece of art, this album, this song, by being so controlling and so exacting about the process of everything. And self-control is an entire song built on the idea of what happens when another human being that you have fallen in love with robs you of that self-control, mm. robs you of that part of yourself. And I'm just like, that's why this is genius because I'm like, that takes a real artist to talk about something about themselves that is probably the thing that they talk to their therapist about. That's why <laughs> I love self-control. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we're talking about iconic opening lines. Holy shit. I'll be yep. your boyfriend in your wet dreams tonight. Like, absolutely perfect. And it and it gets, and he follows it up again with an equally brilliant line. For my money, the most beautiful poetic line ever said about cocaine. He says, nose is on a rail, little version wears the white. And it's just like, how many ideas are in this these this couplet? You know what I mean? Like we get everything that we need to know about this relationship right away. We get this fantasy, the wet dreams, Frank's in love. They're doing drugs together, but also the way that he words noses on a rail, little virgin wears the white. Like he's evoking purity, innocence. We know that this is an early relationship. It's so Frank to give you using the the word choices to, to convey multiple ideas and give you the impression of what he's talking about more than oh, I understand what that line means. No, I understand how that line makes me feel a certain way. And so he's talking about cocaine and being young, but also it's just so poetic and beautiful that you just can't be helped but just be enamored by this. So you're already sucked in just in the first two lines. We get, you cut your hair, but you used to live a blonded life. Let me ask you this, actually. Do you think he says blonded life or blinded life? This is a much debated thing here. I think he says blonded life. That's blonded. what I hear too. But a lot of people argue for blinded. You know, that just the, the the opening verse is just masterful on every level. The the lines are, you know, he continues saying, Wish wish I was there, wish we'd grown up on the same advice and our time was right. Which is just so much of life and relationships. And I think that more macro perspective that that Frank has found on this album is said right here. Where you, with time and maturation, you understand that 
most of the time when things don't work out with someone else, they might've worked out five years later or five years earlier. So much of who we choose to be with in this life has to do with who we are when we met them. The timing's right. You know, sometimes we love these people, but we're just different spots in our life. We want, want different things. It's not about the actual person. It's just about the the, chem, the mix of the two at that time just isn't going to allow you to, to flourish, isn't going to allow you to fully bloom. And just to sum that feeling up and that understanding and that insight into one single line in this verse, it's just so beautiful. Um, and then <laughs> and then it sinks into the chorus. He says, keep a place for me. I'll sleep between y'all. It's nothing. So it's like, <laughs> it's so beautiful. It gives you the image of this this person that he likes being with someone else, but also wanting to be with them so much that you actually don't care about the other person as long as you're also there with them. Um, and this actually was inspired by what Frank said is his favorite song of all time, which is Prince's When You Were Mine. So in that song, we maybe we can play a little bit of it here. He says, I never was the kind to make a fuss when he was there sleeping in between the two of us. I know that you're going with another guy. I don't care because I love you. Which is just like, again, Frank pulling from his favorite song, capturing that emotion of just wanting to be with someone, the presence of someone, even if they got other things going on. Um, and then we get the like one of my favorite lines on the album. I came to visit because you see me like a UFO. That's like never because I was made because I made you use your self-control and you made me lose my self-control, which is just. <laughs> Can we just talk about vocally what he does there? Yeah. And how pained and strained and just the way he delivers made me lose my self-control. That is another oh, chills man. moment of the yeah. album because like we said, Frank Ocean is limited as a, in terms of his range, but not in terms of how he emotes. And when I listen to Frank, I'm just like, oh no, I felt that moment. When he said, you made me lose my self-control. I'm just like, that is a moment that grips you so tight and draws you into the story. Oh man, continue. But that, the <laughs> ending of that, oh. Yeah. Well, okay. So then it's like, this is the thing he does on this album over and over again. Just the guitar part of the song, you, he could have ended it right there, right? Like he could have just, it's, we would have loved self-control. It's a complete thought. It's a complete song on its own, just the guitar part. But the outro, when the strings come in, it's like they swell in. And then he does the wordless, high-pitched, distorted melody thing. And the strings are going... Before he comes in with the I, 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 gotta leave, leave, leave. Like that moment is, no, I'm not exaggerating, one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. That it's the, the strings were composed by John Bryan, one of my favorite producers and musicians of all time. It is such, I, again, this is like, I can't even describe it. There's there's no describing what I feel. That is That is, that moment to me, that, that stretch of 20 seconds or whatever it is, that is exactly why music exists. That is exactly are the, the moments that I chase in music. That is why I love music so much is because of moments just like that. It's fucking phenomenal. I don't, it, I, it, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like I don't yeah. 
I don't even I can't even describe it. It's, it's I mean, I also just love the little I believe it's Frank's voice who's saying it. The pitched up almost it sounds like a Kanye chop. Yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. like the comeback Aaliyah, that part. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's just like um there's so many little parts of self-control that to your point, like this was already complete statement, and then he adds one more thing, and that one more thing just opens the song up all over again. Exactly. It's just I didn't I didn't think you would have liked self-control. I really I was surprised. Oh I didn't think you were gonna pick this. Dude. Okay, so he have that beautiful moment. How do you even like the in my mind? I'm like, how do you even follow up a moment as beautiful as that? And then he fucking somehow he does. He comes in with one of the most memorable parts of the entire album: the I, I, I. No, you got to leave, leave, leave. Take down some summertime. Give up just a night, night, night. That melody is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's sing songy, but it's not corny. It's like. I don't know. And everything that builds to that moment makes that moment, right? Because again, complete song in the guitar part, the beautiful strings. How do you follow it up? Somehow he does with this anthemic, a Frank Ocean version of anthemic part. And then the song just ends on this brilliant high. It's a song form called terminally climactic song form, which is means like it's a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. But then when you get to what you think is the bridge, that actually becomes the an extended climax and you never return to the verse or chorus if you think about the beatles hey jude does that uh radiohead's karma police does that it's a really effective song form it's really hard to pull off because you have to keep topping yourself every step of the way which hey jude and karma police does it's like the verse chorus has to be strong but then you have to take it to another level to this terminally this terminal climax at the end and carry your carry the song all the way to the end and he does that with this anthemic beautiful you know the words are beautiful everything about the end of this song it's my favorite moment on the album it's some of the best music i have ever heard i remember it's what it, i don't know i can't remember it clearly but it's always been the song i've gravitated to ever since i, I listened to blonde i wish i can remember listening to it for the first time but i can't but it's it's just fucking beautiful i mean i also like this song because as deep as it is it's also a very it is a very relatable song if you're at a point in your life where I think Frank is, where it is this like, I was, I listened to self-control in this album at a point in my life where I had to hit the dating scene in New York, similar to probably Frank. And this was also like, I've had times like this where I'm just like, you're like the third person in the relationship. Mm. And I've never been the person to be like, oh, there's room for me here. But I've always felt like, I'm just like, why am I here? What like, <laughs> like, why am I letting this person do this to me? Like, why am I carrying on like this? And that is what Frank, that's how it feels. And I also like, if you think about it, the belief that you have to have in yourself as an artist to seed the floor for what I think is probably one of the most beautiful parts of your album, which is the chorus, the Austin Feinstein young lean chorus of keep a place for me. Mm. I'll sleep between y'all. It's nothing where Austin and Young Lean's voice aren't as beautiful or I think as iconic, and I love Young Lean, as Frank. But what they do is they almost let somebody else vocally into this relationship, which right. also makes it... <laughs> kind of ref also reflects that third person in the relationship, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's what, like, that's why I like their 
their inclusion into this because some people think of like a chorus of like i'm gonna have somebody deliver a chorus for a specific reason when you have a rapper or a singer there's a reason that you would get a beyonce or a taylor a weekend to deliver something frank is using this feature to say something thematically about this song about some how it feels to have another body in this relationship and feel like i'm the third wheel i'm trying to squeeze myself in I don't know. Self control. Yeah, it's just self control yeah. is so fucking good. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's transcendent. Like, I, I don't re- use that word lightly, but it's uh, it's fucking special, dude. That's, so we both agree on self control. Let's let's regroup. We so far, Cole, you have white Ferrari solo, and we both have self control, and I have Knight and Ivy. Now that we've made our case for what songs from Blonde are in contention for Frank's best of all time, it's time to pick, man. Before we do that, I just have to say, this exercise was torture. (laughs) Listen to the songs we left out. Nike's, great song. Pink and White, I know you have hot takes about that. It's a good song. Not my favorite song. I'm not picking. I'm not picking whatever the TikTok teens. No, fuck all. Of no, no. <laughs> it's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song. But yeah, um, we talked about okay. Skyline two, one of the most underrated songs on this project. It's beautiful. That it's the, underrated, but it's also perfectly rated. If we're gonna be honest, I could have made a case for it. I really could what? Have. Sorry. Yes, I really could have. Siegfried, we talked about a bunch. That could have easily been one of my picks. Godspeed. Godspeed should have been on this list. That's actually what I'm mad about. If I like, I think Godspeed. It's weird that we don't have Godspeed a little bit. Okay, I was really tortured about leaving Godspeed off because it's the moment that makes me cry on the album. Like just snapping the fingers, I got tears in my eyes when he says, "I will always love you." What it misses for me in this exercise specifically is that when you remove it as a song standalone, it just falls a little short in terms of like length, in terms of structure it kind of just you know the second half of the song is meandering in a good way but it kind of meanders there's not a lot of structure to it you know the heart of the song is those opening that opening minute and it kind of tapers off but it's this beautiful again it's like but it does not mean much if you have not gone through the full journey exactly 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 so it's like in this specific exercise i had to leave it off for those reasons but it's one of my favorite moments on the music or moments on the album for sure one of my favorite songs, but yeah, again, just just this is this is where the exercise itself falls short because you can't include a song like that. Here we're gonna do something new. I think we both know that one of us is gonna pick self control. I need it. I will name the song that I'm thinking of nominating. I would go with Knights in terms of like one of us is gonna have to pick self control, and I'm assuming you are gonna go white Ferrari. If you picked, if you picked self control, yes. If I pick self control, oh. you would go yeah. probably go white Ferrari, and I would if have you to pick self control, I would go Knights. I think I think Knights has to be on there over over white Ferrari. I will say, even though I didn't pick Knights. Do you think and, they're going to kill us though if we don't have white Ferrari? And this comes from someone who's like, I like white Ferrari, but it's not my favorite joint. Justin, come in here real quick. I. Yeah, let's hear Justin. But I think we're going to get killed if Knights isn't on there more. Uh, way what, more. Which one will we get killed more for if it's not on there? Well, I, I also think that we should bring in Intern Olivia, who's sitting. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Intern Olivia's back. I personally prefer Knights. So, so why? why? White Ferrari just reminds me 
I guess this could be more of a reason to choose it. White Ferrari reminds me of Frank Ocean's first, like, initial music more. And it's probably, like, more really? of a callback. Um, especially, like, the title White Ferrari in general. Um, and so I like Knights more because it's shown to me where he is and how he's progressed. Mm. Um, but White Ferrari could also be good to show, like, how his perspective has changed on some of the same things. So, yeah. So you guys were asking if uh, what you're more likely to get killed for, for leaving off. If we leave it off. Are we more likely to get killed if we leave Knights off or White Ferrari So taking this into account, what are you going to say, Olivia? I feel like you'd be more likely to get killed if you took off White Ferrari. This is the thing. So here's what you have to consider. I think more people, I think the average fan the average person that's like, I've listened to Frank Ocean like 20 times in my life, likes Knights more. The people, and I think the people who are the, that were the type of people to tune into uh, what is the Fr- Frank Ocean's best song ever podcast, are screaming right now that you're not picking White Ferrari. I think that's the difference. I think the average person would think Knights is a better song. I think that the Frank Ocean diehards, the people on the Frank Ocean subreddit, the people that, you know, we know the types. I think that they're going out of their mind at right white Ferrari possibly not being picked. So I th- okay, see here's what I think and I'm I don't really care because I'm picking self-control. It, it has to be picked, but I think the popular choice would probably be white Ferrari and Knights being picked and self-control being left off. All right, well, here's the thing. You know I'm going to pick Knights. Because here's the thing. I want to pick self-control. You can pick self-control. I'm going to pick Knights because if people love fucking white Ferrari, they should. That's what I'm going to get. Yeah, it's a perfect segue. They should vote for it. It's a perfect segue because the fans get a vote. So let's let's formalize our pick and then we'll tell them, remind them again about their vote. So I'm going self-control. You're going self-control. I wanted to go self-control too, but I'm happy settling with Knights. I'm totally fine with that. If you want white Ferrari in here, I think you got to vote for it. Like that, that's just what we're or doing. Or even I, I can There's see I, I can see Ivy. I can see Ivy getting I here's the thing. I liked Ivy. I do, but that was more of like I don't like I would ra- I think Knights is a better version of Ivy just in terms of like the popular song off the album that everyone likes. Whereas like with White Ferrari, I'm trying to think of like hmm, we need more of the like real Frank heads like this shit. Yeah. But the real Frank heads have to show up in the fucking polls. There, yeah, that's just what they have and to Siegfried do. And Siegfried even might get a lot of votes too. Um, don't underestimate Siegfried. But I think I'm I'm really happy we landed with self control and nights. I think that makes perfect sense. I can stump for either of those songs in the finale next week. Very hard. So I think we I think we I think we did good. And I'm very looking forward to seeing what the fans vote again. You can go to at dissect podcast on Twitter or Instagram to vote. We'll take a tally of all of them, so it doesn't matter where you vote. Um, I'm really excited though. Hell yeah. And with that, yo, can you tell the people out there, Cole, who makes this podcast possible? Yeah, shout out to Justin Sales and Olivia. Audio production by Kevin Pooler. Theme music by Bureaucratic. Uh, penultimate episode, man. Are you looking forward to the finale? No. <laughs> fucking destroyed. No matter what we pick, it's just going to... I'm actually now, I don't even know what the song is going to be. I don't either. Like... Yeah. I really, this is actually the first time with the Kendrick one. I was like, I have like two or three in mind that I'm like, this is what I'm stumping for. For the Frank one, I'm just like, you can sway me on the final episode to pick any. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. 
All right. We are back with our cultural exchange. Cole, can you please tell people what were the two pieces of music that we exchanged with one another to try to convince each other to expand their palettes a little bit? Yeah, so I assigned you the 20th century atonal classical piece, Christoph Penderecki's uh, Serenity for the Victims of Hiroshima. And you assigned me the weekend's debut House of Balloons. I got you gotta go first. You gotta give me the experience of this piece. Uh if this song is what I think this song is about, I had similar thoughts to when I watched Oppenheimer, which is like respect the swing, respect the artistry, totally get it. Maybe I have to see it in IMAX. <laughs> Cause I don't know if I'm completely vibing. Like it was like I got it. Like I like I was just like I'm not. This is not me saying that the song was bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, okay, this is a vibe. <laughs> I don't know if I'm on it. This song is very. This might not be the correct musical phrase, but like it's very harsh yeah. and discordant, and it feels like a tragedy in audio form, which is not what I was, I was going <laughs> to expect. Did you, did you listen to it? Just just listen to it? You just focused on it? Yeah, okay. I popped it. I, I followed. I popped in my headphones. Okay. I was just Great. like, all right, for the next nine minutes, nine and a half minutes, I'm going to rock out. And I was like, okay, Cole, don't know what he was on. Definitely scaring this hug. <laughs> like, I was scared. <laughs> 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 that's what a cultural exchange is all about yeah, yeah i mean it's yeah it's a challenging piece especially if you're not like if you don't have the palette for it like it took me you know some months to like really wrap my head around this kind of music where it doesn't where the first impression of it being scary or you know common first impressions of atonal music that stuff starts to wear off and you're able to pick out more details and stuff so i knew it was going to be challenging and just getting over that initial feeling about it but what I really wanted you to just understand, I guess, or experience for yourself was one that classical music can be this avant-garde, can be this out there, right? Like we think of classical music in a certain way. It's like, no, that's just one era of classical music. It actually is the most experimental genre I think there is. Um, but also just the way that classical music or just music in general can give you in a type of a visceral kind of experience like this, just with no words, just with instrumentation. Like to me, when you put on headphones and just listen to that, it's a journey. It's a musical oral journey. It it takes you somewhere. Um, and so I just- Oh, I was on that journey. <laughs> I, I went on the journey. <laughs> okay, so a very dissimilar experience that I had with- You wanna be half of this. <laughs> How did you like the weekend's House of Balloons? <laughs> okay, where do I start with this? Um, <laughs> I, I like the weekend. Okay, let me just say I like the. I think there is an undeniable quality to the weekend that that's why he's so massive. His voice is just tonally great. Uh, he writes catchy melodies. We we all know this. He's a huge star. Um, House of Balloons. I'm definitely not used to hearing him so raw. I'll say the beats were great. I liked loved pretty much every beat on this project i get the appeal of that sounding new and fresh and more it feels like he was more polished out of the gate than the 
two projects you gave me before. It just felt there's a, it just was a, a level up in quality and particularly on the production to me. Again, I think just cheat code with his voice over the, you know, just the tone of it, maybe not even the range of versus Jeremiah, but like he just has that quality of voice um, where I just can't buy in is the lyrics, dude. Just fucking cringe, dirt ball. <laughs> just like. Great. Put it in my veins. Put it in my fucking veins. Here's the thing. Uh, Justin, are you there? Olivia, are you there? We're here. Are y'all gonna kill me for saying I'm gonna be honest? This this era of the weekend, probably up to Kissland, is the last time I found him interesting. Which is why I'm not saying that this music has aged well. I don't know if y'all have listened to House of Balloons recently, but I will say I am still tickled that I'm just like, oh yeah, he was going for it. Like he was. This is him at his sexy demon gremlin mode. That I'm just like, I like this. Is this wild, Justin and Olivia? Well, I think this. I think this mixtape in particular, it mostly holds up, but that could just be us talking for nostalgic reasons, Charles. That is because true. If I heard it for the first time in 2023, yeah, I'd be like, what the fuck? It's definitely a totally different energy. Like we were talking earlier about how he the weekend decided he wanted to become, uh, you called him Trader Joe's uh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah. And um, he very clearly did that. Um, I find this version of the weekend interesting. I find this to be like the most artistically interesting version, but from like a purely musical exercise perspective, I find the after hours blinding nights era, not musically fascinating. But the fact that he's like trying to create these perfect pop songs, I'm actually like kind of intrigued by that. And like with Blinding Lights, he kind of does it. It's like the biggest. Oh, I mean, say what you want about the enough. song. I don't care for the song one way or the enough. other, but it's like it is literally the biggest song in the history of the Billboard charts. That's interesting. All right. Creating we're, we're the go, biggest we're doing song funny ever. Money now. Creating the biggest song ever is legitimately in, it's more interesting to do than sampling Aaliyah after Drake ran that into the ground. Stop. Stop. We're not doing this. This is not becoming a fucking weekend podcast. <laughs> I don't Okay. I don't like either of them. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Olivia intern intern Olivia, have you listened to House of Balloons? I downloaded it to listen on my walk. Walks. What'd you think about it? I started it three different times, and each time I would finish the fourth song, the one after House of Blues, <laughs> and just be like, I'm so bored. <laughs> yes. I am uncomfortable. Yes. Thank you. The lyrics to What You trenches, Need yeah. and High for This are just, they make me a little embar embarrassed. Um, yeah. High for This is dope. What are we talking about? <laughs> um, what? You're on an island. <laughs> Charles. I'm not on an island. All of his streaming numbers. Y'all don't like High for This. Come, what are we doing? <laughs> High for This is good. High for This is is good. High for This is good. <laughs> no, there are a lot of good songs on this album. That like, I mean, I, what are we doing? Uh, Glass Table Girls. Have we have we discussed Glass Table Girls for a second? Like that is legit. Legitimately great. Is song. good. Legitimately great song, and it has the perfect scumbag vibe that was what what was going on in toronto in the early 2010s <laughs> that you get this guy and you get party next door and you get i don't know 
who who else do we get? Obi O'Brien. We get Obi O'Brien, but I don't know if he's a scumbag so much as a you know weed. Y'all didn't like the party, the after party. What? I don't. Wicked I games. Know, I don't know that album enough to know the songs. Life. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You know what? Olivia's I'm, got my back. Thank you. It's y'all weren't outside. Olivia, how old were you when House of the Balloons? <laughs> Uh, this comes out in 2011 I was nine see Olivia was nine she wasn't outside you know what I mean <laughs> she wasn't trying to hear about the weekend snorting coke all day just tell it's you fine, know what it tells me it's just it's, it's not timeless so you know it is timeless it's not timeless clearly alright we're gonna wrap this up by doing our last cultural exchange oh, so sad. I have one more for you okay. yeah you gotta hit me hard because this is the last one the last of the PB&RB syllabus all right, Justin might disagree with me, but I'm going to give you the album that I think actually ends the PBR and B era because it was so successful that it just kind of PB and R and B just became pop. It just, I think I'm going to go with Miguel's Kaleidoscope Dream. Yeah. I think this is the one that ends it. Yeah. Like this is the one where it's just like, this happens and then I'm just like, no, Miguel, Weekend, Frank, you are just stars now. There's no, it's not the blogosphere anymore. Adorn is such a fucking massive song that all that cute R&B shit is, is a rap after this. Is that is that fair to say, Justin? I mean, it's just such a perfect album. I um, mean, it's not a perfect album. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean it like that. But there were, there were like several. I think it's a perfect you album. You think it's a perfect album. Okay. I think there are several think, perfect songs on there. And I think it's very good. And I think that Miguel. It's a perfect I think album. Miguel hasn't done anything that's touched it on like the, the earlier stuff and the later stuff. Nothing has touched it. Um. It's a really, really good album with some perfect songs. I don't know. If you asked me in 2012, I might have told you it was a perfect album. I don't know about today. But it's a great hey, album. I it's a great album. I'm, under, I'm underselling it. It's a great album. Cole, right. Olivia, you haven't heard it? Nope. You've never heard Kaleidoscope Dream? I'm sure I've heard songs off it. I have you heard Adorn? If I heard the song, I'm pretty sure. Because I know Miguel, but I don't know his songs enough or albums enough to say. Wait, you didn't play Adorn at your wedding? <laughs> Charles sing it. Just let my love adorn no, I, I, you. I played. Uh, oh, I played Pender. Uh, uh, I played Penderecki at my wedding. <laughs> okay, so I got to give you what might be. It's between him and Beethoven. My favorite composer, Dmitry Shostakovich. He very interesting. He's Russian Soviet Union composer. Uh, during the 20th century, was writing in the time of Stalin. And what's interesting about his story is that. He was very. He was. He was heading towards a very experimental uh, trajectory in terms of his music. Stalin himself was went to one of his early operas and essentially told told Shostakovich if he keeps writing music in this way because Shostakovich was one of the most famous composers. He was a child prodigy. Everyone was saying this is the voice of the Soviet Union. And Stalin essentially threatened his life and said, "If you keep writing experimental music like this." you're going to disappear one day. And so he was put in this interesting place, well, tragic place where he had to constantly write music that he thought was interesting and good and that he could stand on, but also kind of like pass Stalin's test of popularity and accessibility. And so it's just a fascinating. And he was, he lived in terror his entire life. He had, a, he famously put a suitcase pack suitcase by his door um, because he was always afraid that he just during the night, you know, Stalin's men were just going to come take him away. Uh, so the piece I want you to listen to, it's one of my favorite pieces ever. It's his eighth string quartet. 
specifically the second movement. If you can listen to all of it, great. But the second movement is what I want you to listen to specifically. Written in 1960. Uh, this was written right after he was forced to join the Communist Party, um, which is something that, again, it was Stalin putting a, using Shostakovich as like a public face uh, for his campaigns and stuff. But he didn't want to do it. This was written after he was thinking about committing suicide, and a lot of people see it as his epitaph. He didn't end up committing suicide, but it's it's just a haunting piece. I think it balances the experimental stuff of Penderecki that you just listened to, and I don't, not minimalism, but more traditional classical music, and he balances this really, I think, really compelling line. It's like a rock piece. It feels like a rock piece. It just It's really aggressive and, and strong, but not in a way that's going to turn you off, I don't think. Um, and one cool fact about it is that you'll hear like his f- repeating four note motif in there. And that's actually his signature, his musical signature. Again, to the to this idea of him composing an epitaph, he was writing himself in the piece. Um, and yeah, many pe- people see this as one of his greatest pieces. It's my favorite piece by him. Shostakovich, Eighth String Quartet, 1960. Hell. I think you're going to like it. Yes. I can't wait to be very depressed. That's gonna be <laughs> also okay. We'll see- no, sorry. Oh. There's a second part of this, right? Because we said that I was gonna make you a party playlist for review on the finale. Oh shit! The party playlist is here. Well, I don't have it yet. I have a question about it. You're gonna, I'm gonna make it. You're gonna review it, and you're gonna give our thoughts next time. Do you yes. do you want this to be my party playlist? Like what I would want to per- just me would want to hear at a party, or do you want me to prove to you that I can make a great party playlist that is accessible? That you would like, Justin, Olivia, come. I need, I need, I need the group. Kevin, you could even pop in if you would like. I need the whole group to weigh <laughs> in on this because part of me wants to hear what Cole thinks is popular to play at a party, but then the other part of me is just like, if I'm going to Cole's party and he has the ox cord, I want to know what he <laughs> thinks is like. What's going to get the night started off right? Which one do you think is more interesting? I think authenticity. I want to hear what Cole would play at his own party, not what he thinks other people would play at their parties. Hell yeah. All right. We have one for a Cole specific. What about you? Oh, Justin? I feel the exact opposite. I was going to say, I feel he, completely he's the, DJ. the exact you're the, opposite. You're the DJ. You want to hear yeah. if I can make the I party want, go. Oh, no. I want to see if Cole if Cole can do this. I think I got the solution. And it's a homage to Knights, or sorry, to, to Blonde. I'm going to make you two and one. We're going to, I'll divide it. Maybe I can divide it in half perfectly, perfectly to the second, but I'll do side A, side B. I'll do the party playlist that, you know, for the function and I'll do Cole's function playlist. Hell, yes. I've never been so excited <laughs> to hear anything in my entire life. And then you're going to have to guess where it splits. How about that? All right. That's what we're doing. Okay. That's what we're doing. Thank you, everybody. All right. All right. We'll be back next week. <laughs> Peace. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, Can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.